series within a series. If you remember, we're in this series called The Story. And it's talking about the meta-narrative, God at work, the big picture. And um, it talks, you know, we're, we're looking at how God's big story comes crashing down into the lower, you know, the upper comes crashing down into the lower. And we've been looking at that. We, when we started, we were in Genesis and uh, we saw the problem right out of the gate. Sin enters into the world after God created it. And so then there, there on, we are watching how God is restoring and making things new once again. Um, we're in between the Testaments right now, per se, and so we thought it would be, a real, since it's summer, we thought it would be a great time for the next few weeks to kind of just take an intermission and take a look back now at some of the interesting stories or characters within the Word of God that we, we, we missed. Um, as, we, as we look at that big meta-narrative, we're just kind of hitting the main points to get the gist of what's going on, the big story of what's going on. It's kind of like sitting down and reading a newspaper. You may not sit down and read every single word of the newspaper, but as you, if you would kind of look at the highlights, the, the stories, you get a gist of what's going on within our world or within our community and within our nation. And so... Um, uh, it's it's that's kind of where we're at. But now in this intermission, we're gonna we're gonna take and we're gonna look at a couple things that we missed out in the in the details uh, of that of the big meta narrative. Uh, today, I want to look at uh, an individual, and some of you may have heard of this guy, but he his name is Benaiah, and his story is found in First Chronicles chapter eleven, verses twenty two through twenty four. And just to kind of give you a, a, a snippet of context here, we don't have a lot of information about Benaiah. But what we do have is really exciting. What we do have, we see someone that's not the norm. We see someone that's really operates kind of outside the norm. And as we look at that, we, we, you have to ask yourself the question, why is, this in the, why is this in the Word of God? There's not a lot about him, but, but it mentions him. And it mentions his spirit. It mentions his characteristics. And that's what I want us to look at today. He was an individual that, if, for a lack of better terms, if King, it's during King David's time, for a lack of better uh, ways to describe him, if King David had a, a Navy SEALs uh, you know, uh, department or whatever, this cat would be the leader of the Navy SEALs. And I think, that's, I think you'll get the gist of this if you haven't heard of him as we read this passage of Scripture. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, it says that he was a valiant fighter, valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down... And we're going to look at these, a couple of these exploits. He also, it says, he struck down two Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah. He too was as famous as the uh, three of the three mighty men, meaning three mighty men of David. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is this a guy you'd like to have on your team? Is this a guy, if you were in a leadership position, or if you were just, you know, just in general, in your sphere of friends, is this a cat you'd like to have on your team? This guy is what, you know, and this is what I want to, this is what I want to talk to you about today. I think there's one, there's, there's one way to describe what he had, and that was this. He had an unstoppable spirit. 
I mean, look at the, just the things that we have right here, and, and I'm sure there were many more things that took place, but just here, the way the Word of God, or in Chronicles, the, the, the person that was uh, taking these Chronicles described this guy or characterized this guy was, uh, he, he killed two of Moab's uh, greatest men. He went into a pit to kill a lion on a snowy day. He also manhandled a, an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall, uh, not only just uh, killed him, but took, uh, had a club, that's all he had. He goes and, and he takes the, takes the uh, weapon of the Egyptian and uses it to kill the Egyptian. This is a guy I would like to have on my team. I think this guy had what I would call an unstoppable spirit. And today I want to talk to you about this concept of an unstoppable spirit because what I would like to ask then is this. What would your personal life look like? What would your spiritual journey look like if you had this same type of unstoppable spirit? And maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe this morning you do, you can resonate with him and you say, you know what, this describes me. Now I may not go into a physical, literal pit, but in a, in a figurative sense when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God, I have a complete unstoppable spirit. I will do whatever it takes. I will, I will change my thinking. I will have a paradigm shift in the way I think because for me, what it's about is all about the advancement of the kingdom of God. Does that describe you? Paul writes this in Timothy, in first Tim, or second Timothy, excuse me, second Timothy one verse seven. He says this: For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Again, let me ask you the question: Does that describe you? Does that not only describe you, but would that describe our church? And I'm going to ask this question again at the end, but let me, ask it, let me ask you this. What would our church look like if it was full of people that were like Benaiah? What would our kids' ministry look like if it was full of volunteers that had this unstoppable spirit that says, we will do whatever it takes to minister to our kids and to help them to grow up in the faith and have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What would our youth ministry look like? What would our women's ministry look like? What would our encounter services look like? What would, our, what would your small group look like? Everything we do at this church, what would it look like if this church was full of individuals that had this unstoppable spirit that says this, we are all about the vision and mission of this church. We are all about advancing the kingdom of God. And if that means my preferences, which we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, if that means my priorities, my preferences, my way of thinking, my comfort zone, all of these things has to be shoved to the side so that the kingdom of God can be advanced, what would that look like for your individual personal life, spiritual journey, and what would that look like for Element Church? I think this church would look radically different. And I'm not trying to come down on anybody. But I'm just simply saying, if we had a church full of this type of individual, the kingdom of God would be advanced greatly in Blissfield. It would be advanced greatly in Adrian. And it would also be advanced in other parts as we live out this concept of being a multi, the strategy of being a multi-site church because we're saying nothing will stop us from advancing the kingdom of God. I'm not talking today about your personal priorities, 
I'm not talking about your preferences. I'm not talking about your dreams, your desires for your life. What I'm talking about is kind of like Matthew 5, where Jesus kind of paints the picture, not kind of, he paints the picture of what people that make up his kingdom, what they look like. They're peacemakers. They're people that mourn because they see the world and they don't see what, and they see God's way and they look at the world and they don't see the two connecting and so they're moved. Their spirit is moved. And on and on as, as he lays out this picture of his kingdom. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us be, having this unstoppable spirit that says, we will advance the kingdom of God with whatever it takes. And that's the spirit that we have. Now, let me ask you this question. What keeps us from having the unstoppable spirit? I want to talk to you about, I want to answer that question and talk to you about that for a few moments because I believe there's one word that keeps us from having an unstoppable spirit. And it's four letters and it's the word called fear. I believe that's why we don't have an unstoppable spirit at times. And I believe, I want to share with you then four things about what fear does to not only an unstoppable spirit, but to each of us individually and as, to, and as a church. So it goes from individual to corporate as well, because we make up the corporate, right? If it's happening at individual levels and we come together, that corporate's going to look the, what, what it looks like on an individual basis. Uh, the first thing it does is it kills potential. Fear will absolutely erratically, erratically it will radically kill potential. It will kill your effectiveness. It will cause you to miss opportunities that God places within your life. When we become afraid, it keeps us from doing more with our lives. We're not realizing the potential that God has for us. We're not realizing our God-created identity. We're not realizing any of those things. And consequently, what happens, fear radically kills our potential of doing anything for the kingdom of God. Paul Turnier says in his book, he says, all of us have reservoirs of full potential, vast areas of great satisfaction. But the road that leads to those reservoirs are guarded by the dragon of fear. God has placed situations within our lives, within your life. He's placed certain people within your life. He's made certain things happen. Again, the meta-narrative. God's at work. God's at work at redeeming the world. God's at work at bringing people that are far away from Him to Him. And He uses each of us to do that. And He has placed opportunities in our path. And fear has killed those opportunities. There's a couple of us here that have stumbled onto this, uh, this motorcycle ministry. And I, I just want to show this with you because I think it's just such a, a cool story. There's a, there was a, a few years, well, back in the late 90s, there was a guy that was a pastor uh, in the Free Methodist Church. He lived in Southern California, and he bought a Harley, and he was, he was riding it. One time, he, something happened where he had to call the shop to come pick up the bike. And it was right after he bought it, so he was kind of getting accustomed to the whole Harley culture, which, you know, can be, can be a little different at times. And so as he is, you know, in this culture, uh, or I should say the shop sends out a, a young kid in a truck to pick up the bike, to take it back to the store, to get it, you know, to get it fixed. And so as he's riding along, God presses upon this pastor to have a conversation with this kid about Jesus Christ. 
The pastor new to the whole Harley culture is intimidated. And fear takes over. Two weeks later, this kid gets killed on his bike. Fear killed a potential. Now, I don't want to end that story there because it's a really cool story. What happened was this motorcycle ministry was birthed from that because this guy was so moved by it. And so the <laughs> Spirit of God just grabbed him. He went to the store and he said, hey, is there anything that I can do? He talked to the manager, the, 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 the general manager said, is there anything that I could do? Because, you know, he explained the whole story to him. And the guy said, yeah, why don't you go back and start in the parts? And if you want to, uh, you know, minister to them, if you want to grief counsel, whatever you want to do, have at it, man. It's open to you. So this guy starts going through the whole store, ministering. People begin to be led by Christ, relationships, grief counseling takes place and all of that. But my point was this. There are times where God places opportunities in your path with your friends, with your circle of influence, and we miss those opportunities because we don't have this unstoppable spirit of advancing the kingdom. What we have is we get focused on ourselves and we say, I am afraid. And I don't want that to happen. And so we meet that dragon that's guarding the road, that dragon of fear. The second thing it does, it kills relationships. Fear causes us to cover up. Fear causes us to wear masks at times, just like we just talked about with the potential. There are times where God leans in on you, presses in upon you through His Spirit to have a certain conversation with someone, and you don't do that just like this pastor didn't do it at the time, but you don't do it because we become afraid of what? The fear of rejection. What if I open up and share? What if I open up and just, you know, start talking to this individual and they reject me? They don't think I'm as, as cool as what I think, you know, as what I think they think I am. And what happens? You see, what happens is fear can literally kill a relationship. We, it causes us to cover up at times. It causes us to wear masks. It causes us to not say what we're really thinking. And when I'm talking about not what we're really thinking, I'm talking about thinking that pertains to the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about your good old-fashioned opinion about something where you want to advance your preferences or your desires or whatever. I'm talking about where the kingdom of God has saturated your mind where you have these convictions these beliefs that are rock solid that are rooted in the word of God and there's times where the spirit presses upon you to say I want you to have a conversation with that person because what they're saying is not rooted in the word of God and you need to talk with them but we put on these masks and we put on these facades and we say, I don't want to do that because I'm afraid. It causes us to lie at times. The greatest block to intimacy in a marriage or a friendship or in these relationships is fear. I'm afraid to tell you really who I am. If I let my guard down, if I let this facade down, if I let this mask down, you might find out who I really am and you might reject me. And that's a little bit too much for me. So, fear causes us to hide and it ruins relationships. Fearful people, we can't give love because we haven't received love. We're focused too much on ourselves. Fearful people cannot make commitments to others. We can't allow our hair to come down. How many times have you heard someone say this? And maybe you have said it. I am afraid because I might get hurt again. I can't tell you how many times I've sat and counseled marriage counseling where there's been broken trust and the one that got, where the trust got broken to, they will make the statement, I don't know if I can ever trust that person again. 
I get that we're human, guys. Please don't hear me try to preach this, this idealistic message by any means. That's not my point, but my point is this. I get that we're human, but I also get what the Word of God says. And if we can never, ever learn to trust again, we will never, ever, especially in our marriages or even in any relationship, we will never have the full extent of what that relationship can be. We will never allow that to be realized. And we may not realize it, but our fears affect everybody else around us too. Sometimes our fears can become this toxic, negative thing that we send out to everybody else around us, and it brings them down. It literally ruins relationships. How many of you ever seen parents, which I know we don't have this in our body, how many of you have ever seen those other people that are parents ruin their relationship with their kids because they're so afraid. They themselves are so afraid about something. They don't want their kids to go off and experience something. And so they limit their kids or whatever. Most people never reach their potential because um, they're under, they, they could be under individuals that are very fearful or, and afraid. They circle themselves with people that are also afraid and afraid of letting those people become what God truly wants them to become. The third thing is it kills your happiness. I get that happiness is just an emotion that we're called as Christ followers to be contented. I understand that. But at the emotional level too, it kills happiness. Have you ever been worn out by your worries where you're just consumed with them? That's all you think about. You toss and turn at night. The, the statement's been made that most people are worn out by worry more than they are work. And it, our brains are, and that's the way our brains are kind of designed in a sense that, that once we have something within our mind that we can't resolve, our brain is like this, this, this problem-solving mechanism where it just stays focused on that thing because it wants to, we want resolution. We want it to be resolved. And so a lot of times our worries can become that thing where we just think about constantly. We just worry, worry, worry about things. Alfred Hitchcock said this. Some of you remember Alfred Hitchcock. He said, I turn my fears into movies. And I think if you've seen some of the movies, that's what he did. And it kind of goes back up with the point we just talked about. It kills other relationships, right? Because, I mean, he, they scare the rest of us. Fears are really like that. They're like bad movies in a sense. They're like scary movies. Because once we get it within our minds, and if we don't grab a hold of it and let it go, what takes place is we play it over and over and over and over and over again. Rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play. That was so miserable, I want to rewind it and play it again. And for years, some of us for years were stuck in this mode of allowing fear to consume us. And here's the beauty. We don't want anybody else to break outside of that, so we'll surround ourselves with other people that are, that are just consumed with fear because it's like, heaven forbid, someone break out of it. Whoa, what are you doing? Don't be breaking out of the gates, man. It kills happiness. It paralyzes potential. It ruins relationships. It kills success. Job 3.25, Job says this, Everything I fear and dread comes true. He's saying that fears are like these self can be these self-fulfilling prophecies. In psychology, they have this statement called, and you've heard it before, called projection, where you project things onto other people. And so what happens is some of the things you project on other people can literally become self-fulfilling prophecies. For, for, for an example, let's say that I really feel inadequate about myself. That's how I see myself. I really feel inadequate. So I meet you for the first time. You don't have any preconceived notion of me. Hopefully you don't. But you don't have any preconceived notion of me yet. You, don't, you haven't formed your opinion about me. And all this other, So as we engage one there, I'm scared to death that you're going to find out who I really am. 
I'm scared to death you're going to find out that, I, that I'm inadequate. Because that's what I think of myself. And essentially what happens after we're in a relationship for some time, all I do is act inadequate because that's what I'm scared to death about. And then the next thing you know, you start thinking that I'm inadequate because that's all I'm showing to you. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We just focus in on it. And it kills this It kills success. And when I'm talking about success, I'm not talking about personal success within your life. I'm referring more to the success of of advancing the kingdom of God. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. We literally set ourselves up for failure at times. Again, the author that Ternier says in his book, fear creates what it fears. We get honed in, it literally creates what we're amping it up to create. Now, as we look at those things, I want to share with you three things that will eradicate this and enable us to have an unstoppable spirit, at least put us on that trajectory, that path. The first one is this, truth. John 8.32 says this, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I can't think of another verse, and I know the Word of God is filled with verses that the enemy hates, but I can't think of another verse that the enemy probably ranks up there pretty high as, as this verse. Because think about it for a second. If you don't know the truth, you will not be set free. You will continue to live your life in this bondage. You will never have this unstoppable spirit for God. You don't know what it's about. You're camped out on your you're camped out in your kind of your self-centeredness in a sense. And and we never see the realization of this verse. And guys, let me share this with you. Much of what we've learned is simply not true. If you think about it, if you've hung around certain people that have bought into this whole concept of fear, that's what's been impressed. That's how you've been influenced. Let's say your mom or your father, let's say your mother or father are individuals that did not have an unstoppable spirit. They're individuals that press down onto you this concept of fear, this concept of their preferences and, and, and those types of things, their desires. And let's say you grew up in that. That's all you know. And to you, that is truth when it's not truth. That is absolutely the the furthest thing from truth. But what has happened now, you have based your life on some faulty assumptions, whether it be from your parents, whether it be from friends, your circle of friends, if they're like that. You have based your life on some faulty assumptions. Guys, your next step is this. You've got to break the curse. You've got to break the family curse. You You are operating on faulty assumptions, and it's time for you to rise up and allow the Spirit of God that Paul says is not a spirit of being timid, but it's the spirit of power. You've got to rise up and take a hold of the power that God has placed inside of you and break the curse of these faulty assumptions and this deception that the enemy wants you to live your life upon. Jesus says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those beliefs have to be challenged. And what do we do to challenge them with? We challenge them with God's truth. Guys, let me say this too. I've been in conversations where people have espoused stuff that is not God's Word. In the church, where we sit down and we discuss things and we discuss our preferences, we discuss our our things, things like that, and we lay out these bold claims... And it is not the Word of God at all. At some point, the truth needs to come out. And for those that are basing their argument or debate on that, you're going to get very frustrated when someone comes and says, that's not truth. 
That's not truth. The second one is this, love. 1 John 4.18 in the Phillips translation says, Love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear. For fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. I love the way the Phillips translation says that. Love contains no fear. And fully developed love, perfect love, expels all particles of fear because fear always contains the torture of feeling guilty. Love contains no fear. Here's... A dichotomy. I don't understand when we say we've embraced God, which the Word of God says God is love. And this translation says that perfect love, or I should say the Word of God says that perfect love drives out all fear. According to that, it seems as if that the Word of God is teaching us that fear and perfect love, God, cannot coexist. Am I wrong? It seems as if that when we experience perfect love, all perfect love drives out fear, that when we truly experience perfect love, God's love, the essence of God, the true essence of Him, that they, those two cannot coexist. That's called a dichotomy. That's called an oxymoron. I've experienced God, but I'm afraid. Okay, something's wrong. Love contains no fear. And fully developed love expels every particle of fear. They can't coexist. That's what we talked about last week, God's good intentions. The reason why we misinterpret God's good intentions for us is because we don't understand God and we don't trust God. Because we're afraid. Two things about His love. We need to first receive it. Now, I get that that sounds very basic, but... I think some of us struggle with truly receiving God's love. Being aware of God's love. Needing to accept it. Needing to receive it. Needing to bask in His unconditional love for us. That trust. When I trust in God's love, my fears are expelled. My fears are eradicated because there's no fear in perfect love. God is love. He is never afraid. Isaiah 43, 5. God says, Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Now, if you're experiencing fear, I, I would say, let's, let's take a pause here for a second, because what are you trying to advance? Your kingdom or God's kingdom? If God is asking you to advance His kingdom and you're experiencing fear, that's where we have to go back to God and, and, and spend time with Him and confess that to Him and work through that. I think we are going to experience fear and we're trying to advance our kingdom. Because that's not what, it was intended, that's not what we're intended to do. Receive God's love. The second is offer others love. As we receive it, we offer it. I think that is a natural reaction. I don't think it's something where we have to say, okay, I just received it, so now what do I do? Um, oh, yeah, we've got to offer it. Those of you that remember when you first got married, or you, and just using that for an example, one of the first things you probably did was, hey, I just got engaged. Hey, I just asked her, and she said she, she would marry me. I'm so excited. And you call everybody. You call all your friends. Hey, we're pregnant for our first child. It's so awesome. Hey, my kid's graduating high school. Hey, I mean, when we receive good news, when we re- receive something that is extremely positive, the first thing we want to do is pick up the phone and we want to call people. We want to share what's taking place within our lives. 
Isn't that a natural reaction of what should happen when we receive God's love? It seems as if that when we receive God's love and we truly embrace it and experience it and begin to understand the magnitude of his love, I've I, got to share something with you. I want to share with you what Jesus has been doing in my life. I want to share with you some things that Christ has been doing this past week in my life. It's awesome news. We share it. But sometimes we get so preoccupied with ourselves, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to get messed up in this situation. I don't want to blank, blank, blank. I, I, I. Love gets the focus off of ourselves and onto others. And the more that we're filled with love, the less we're going to be filled with fear. The last point is this. Exercise faith. Jesus, or Paul says in Ephesians 6.16, Above all, be sure to take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile the enemy hurls at you. James says, hey, you claim you have faith? Great. Where's the action? You see, and we've talked about this numerous times, but this is where we get wrapped up and think, we get deceived. We don't know the truth. We get wrapped up where we have this list of aspirational beliefs. This is our aspirational faith, and this is our actual faith. Man, I want to tell you something. We are all saints when it comes to aspirational faith, right? I mean, we are knocking the ball out of the park when it comes to aspiring to certain elements of the faith. When it comes down to demonstrating that out, it's a little bit of a different story. You want me to have an unstoppable spirit and go and talk to someone about something that, that's going to challenge them? Uh, I don't know about that. You see how it all starts kind of... Br- James says, if you've got the faith, that's awesome. Act upon it. What's it going to look like? What's it look like? You see, real faith is acted upon. It's that bedrock belief. There are things within your life that are bedrock beliefs. It's your bedrock faith. It's your core values where if someone would come against you and challenge them, there is no doubt in your mind that you're going to bare your teeth and you're going to come after them. Sometimes those bedrock beliefs, though, are more about my kingdom versus God's kingdom. Where a person like Benaiah with the unstoppable spirit says, you want to go up against the kingdom of my God? I'm going to bare my teeth. And I'm not suggesting we have to be mean with each other. That's not my point. But I'm saying that's where we get really passionate. Faith is more than just believing. It's taking action. It's moving ahead in spite of your fears. It's facing your fear. It's it's doing the thing you fear most. It's doing the thing you fear most in spite of how you feel. Faith doesn't always remove the, the fearful feelings that we have at times, but it gives us the strength and the passion to move forward to say, I am not allowing these feelings to overcome me. I'm not allowing that because that's not who I am and that's not my spirit. Psalm, the psalmist writes in 56.3, When I'm afraid, I will put my confidence in God. A lot of times we have fear because we put our confidence in ourselves. And we're more worried about the I. I'm scared about this. I'm scared about how I'm going to be viewed. I'm scared about, and it's the I, I, I. When I'm afraid, I will put my confidence in God. So, let me circle back around as I end this and say this. 
what is it that you're afraid of this morning? Or if you don't have, if this doesn't describe you, this unstoppable spirit, this Benaiah that we read about, what is, what is keeping you from having that unstoppable spirit? This morning, what, you know, if you can't identify with that, what is keeping you from having that unstoppable spirit? And maybe this is a moment where, where when we close here in the next few moments where we have, where we, you know, where we have a couple songs, maybe this is a time where you become humble and contrite before God and you enter into a very vulnerable posture, opening yourself up to God to say, God, do I have an unstoppable spirit or not? God, where am I at in this whole thing? You see, we don't ask those questions at times of the Spirit because we're afraid of what the Spirit may say. What's keeping you from having that? Maybe you're sitting in here and you have it. And there, no doubt, there are some sitting in here that they have that unstoppable Spirit of an eye. But I want to say this. We need more of that in Element Church. We need more of that in your personal lives. We need more of that because, again, I want to go back to how I started this. What would our church look like if it was full of people that was like Benaiah? If it was full of people that had this unstoppable spirit that says, it's all about the kingdom of God. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my priorities. It's not about my desires of what church should look like or this kingdom of God should look like in Blissfield or Adrian or where else we we go with this multi-site strategy but it's about advancing the kingdom of God. If we've got to make this change in the kids' ministry, I'm all for that. Let's rock and roll. If we've got to make this change in the women's ministry, in the youth ministry, in our worship services, in our engaged peace, in our encounter peace, in our express peace, in our small, whatever it is, God, this is yours, and we are thankful to be a part of it. God, we count it a privilege that we get to partner with you in helping build your kingdom here on earth and seeing lost souls change, people that are far away from you come back to you. God, that's what excites us because we have unstoppable spirits. Guys, what would our church look like if it was full of people like that? Do you think it would look a little different? I think so, and I'm not criticizing I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying the Word of God says that as followers of Christ, we have a spirit of power inside of us. Is that being realized in your individual walk? And is that being realized as we come together in the corporate walk? I'd like for you just to spend a few moments as we... I'm going to close with prayer, but as always, I pray that you would just humble yourselves open your heart enter that vulnerable enter that vulnerable position before God where you say here I am do an inventory and allow the spirit to direct your next response as it relates to this concept of having an unstoppable spirit would you do that as I pray father your word's very challenging this is a book out of my journal or an excerpt out of my journal I can look back and just forces me on my knees to repent and confess to say, I've I've succumbed to this. This sense of fear. And God, I confess that to you. And I pray that we wouldn't, as we're sitting in here this morning right now, we're not thinking of other names, other our spouse, our children, or whatever it is. We're not thinking of other individuals that need to hear the message. But we're opening ourselves up to you. 
and allowing you to communicate with us and to meet us where we are on our journeys. God, would you help us to have that, that, that vulnerability, that contriteness, that humbleness to come before your presence right now and to open up to you and to hear you speak to us through your spirit. God, I pray that this would be a time where we would do that, where we would worship you through loving obedience, letting go of control, and allowing you to consume us. God, please don't allow the the enemy's spirit to be here today. Don't allow there to be distractions right now, but let this be a time where we can focus completely upon you. And God, as always, we pray this through the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's in His name that we pray and ask all of this. Amen.